Welcome to the Shrink Think Podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Nathan. And we're both licensed professional counselors in Oregon here to open up our lives and minds with you. We'll share some of our experience as counselors, business owners, and most important of all, as everyday people. Hi, and welcome to Shrink Think. This is our podcast that explores the human experience from two therapists' perspective. We use a little humor and a lot of compassion to help you understand yourself and learn new ways of being. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey, I'm really excited to introduce our guest for today's show. He's a friend of mine and a fellow private practice group practice owner. His name is Scott Waters. He is the owner and clinical director of Veritas Community Counseling down in Eugene, Oregon. So he's here in our home state of Oregon, but he's in a small town. It's south of here. We're in the Portland area. He's down in Eugene, which is a small college town. And for those of you who don't know, it's famous for being the track and field capital of the world. Uh, Steve Prefontaine ran down there and there's Olympic trials that happen down there. So it's a pretty cool place if you ever get a chance to visit and he's owning it with his uh, his counseling agency there. He also is the co-host of the Resilient Relationship podcast. So we hope you enjoy the interview with Scott and learn a few things along the way. Hey, well, welcome to our show. Hey, Scott, uh, maybe start off by telling us a little bit about yourself. Yes, I am a group practice owner in Eugene, Oregon, and we focus on Christian clientele, Uh, not exclusively, but that's just our niche, serving a lot of the church population down here. I've been married for about 12 years, I think. That's horrible. 13 years. <laughs> you'll, you'll find out later if you got that you'll right. You'll find out later, yeah. Uh, and I'm a marriage counselor, so yay. Right. So what other tips of what not to do can you share with us? <laughs> yes. So, oh my gosh. Remember holidays and dates. Yeah, got two kiddos. Love being a dad, father, really active in... I like to be part of leadership in my church. Um, just, yeah, try to stay busy and probably overcommit a lot. It's always interesting to me, and I think the folks out there always ask, how did you get into counseling or what made you decide to become a therapist? Was there a story behind that or a, a turning point or like an event that happened for you? Yeah, I would say that I really was searching for my identity for a long time. I wanted a place to belong, like we all do. And I think I've even heard you guys talk about that on your podcast before. Um, that's a basic need is just searching for belonging. And when I was in high school, or even before high school, I thought I wanted to be a youth pastor, just to be caring and serving people. Like I had was raised in a Christian home. My mom's a PK, pastor's kid. And I thought that was the route for me. Like I really wanted to help people. And then got into school and ministry and I said uh no like I don't like church politics in a juvenile effort to avoid any kind of polity or like uh governing structure of a church board or something 
I was like, I don't want to do that. So I spent probably four and a half years in college going through different degrees and finally ended up on counseling. I had an intro to counseling course and abnormal psychology. And I was like, oh, I could do this. Teaching wasn't my thing uh, to be a like, public teacher, but I could work one-on-one with someone and affect change, like be a, a force for good in their life. And so that was what launched me, along with several affirming people in my life, just saying, you're a great listener. You are so caring. Just having that kind of launched me into diving into therapy. Yeah. As far as being a therapist, um, at this point, how many years have you been therapizing people? Or traumatizing, either way. <laughs> right. I've been therapizing people for, I started in 2010. 2009, actually, so 11 years now. So you're a group practice owner now. So at what point did you start thinking to yourself, uh, I think I might want to bring some people on or maybe expand myself? Uh, has it always been a thing or was it kind of something that occurred? So interesting story, and you might hear this on Whitney Owens' podcast, the Faith and Practice podcast, but she asked about the same thing, and it was really having a mantle placed on me and it was a someone who two different people in the same month that said they heard from God that God had placed a mantle on my shoulders. It was kind of startling at first to hear that and humbling and I didn't know what that meant for the longest time. I've always been kind of drawn towards leadership but after a while I really experienced the need in my community for more counselors and high quality counselors because when I first got started down here, I had to relocate, relaunch my practice. Nobody returned phone calls or emails. It was honestly disappointing in our community. So it was something that was on my heart to have a broader stretch than just what I could do. I think that's always been a call like for me to have more outreach than just me. If I'm just trading hours for dollars, there's a very distinct cap on what the services I can provide, the income I can make, and the influence I can have. And so it was at some point in the last couple of years that I said, I need more. I need to hire to be more effective in fostering change in our community. Okay. And I don't know you very well. I mean, we're in a similar group on Facebook, but it doesn't come across to me that you are an arrogant person. When folks say like, I need to have more <laughs> influence, it's like, I'm not saying you're a narcissist right. or anything. <laughs> Aaron and I are very similar with that. But I guess what I'm hearing is that there's a passion that you have to something to share that's kind of been laid on your heart. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, I'm very passionate about couples work. I started my counseling working for a nonprofit doing sexual addiction therapy and very quickly realized even if I helped the typically gentlemen that I was working with, there was a big hole and the marriage needed to be redeemed and recovered. And so I started dabbling in that and really fell in love with it. I'm kind of sick in that way. I'm not a narcissist, but sick in that I enjoy sitting in that tension in the room with two people who love each other but are out of love with each other. They don't like each other that much right now. And 
I'm passionate about seeing redemption and reconciliation in relationships. It's uh, part of the loyalty aspect to my personality. And it's not that I feel like I'm, I'm so important. It's more that, like you guys are talking about, I want to see change in the world. And whatever I can do to facilitate that, I'm going to try to do. Yeah, that's awesome. It, it's a lot of, sounds like knowing who you are and what your talents and gifting are, and also really understanding what, what brings you life or what you're passionate about. I think oftentimes we are passionate about the things that we're good at. I guess I could say I, I enjoy golf. I'm not great at it, so therefore I'm not really passionate about it. But you know, when you see that you're able to affect change in people and it has a positive impact, you can really develop a passion for that. What are some of the, I guess, common experiences or complaints that you hear most from couples as you're sitting with them in the room? A large part of it is disconnect. Like, we are not on the same page. And it shows up as, I don't know if we, we don't love each other anymore. This person is not the person I married. I'm really having a hard time understanding this person that I'm married to or in a relationship with. And... It's often boils down to communication and emotional unintelligence, not being aware of your own experience or how to express that clearly and not having a clear vision of what a healthy relationship looks like that isn't distorted by mythology of Disney relationships or, you know, what the media serves us in terms of movies and romantic comedy. I mean, a little bit of a rabbit trail here, but you mentioned like the Disney, you know, mythology. What are some of the myths that you hear people coming in with that you're like, oh, okay, we need to pop that bubble there. Yeah. So a couple of main ones is that relationships should be easy. And the other one I would say is that it should be natural. And I think those two go hand in hand, but there's this concept that relationships don't take any work. If it's a good fit, if this is the soulmate, which I think is a varsity as well, that's another myth, like there's one person out there for you. The idea of a person who doesn't take any work to maintain a relationship with them, that does fall in line with some compatibility. But the reality is any relationship, you have to put effort in to nurture it. And so I think that's a, just a big fallacy that people fall into is this takes so much work. Why should this relationship take so much work? Because you are working for something that's hard and good. So that's the first one. you have any questions on that one? I guess what I'm wondering is, so this couple comes in yep. and being a therapist, you kind of know some things right off the bat just by body oh, yeah. language and everything else and you kind of figure out, okay, this is kind of the myth that we're looking at here. How do you break into that like are you the type of person to kind of be direct and get right at it or do you kind of feel like you have to build rapport i mean what are a little bit more of the details that you might use to get there yeah i do i like to ease into it i would say i'm very direct even before we see them for the first time and so i send them a handout that talks about how my vision of couples counseling is proactivity and personal responsibility and so they have an idea coming in that the best way they can move the relationship forward is to move themselves forward and grow personally and stop blaming their spouse or significant other for the relationship issues. 
having read that, they'll show up in session and say, you know, I really appreciated your handout. And then they'll probably just fall back into the pattern of complaining about their spouse in session. And I'll let that go for a little bit just so I can see the dynamic. Then I'll say, okay, time out. So I'll show some empathy, build some rapport, and then be extremely direct. I found that in couples therapy, you can't afford to not be direct. Otherwise, they'll walk all over each other and repeat the same patterns that they repeat at home or outside of session. Yeah, just a curious question on that. Have you ever had to kick anybody out of the room or uh, kick people out of therapy because they were blaming each other too much? Like, okay, guys, if we're going to be, and I guess for context, for people listening, you know, I say that a little bit in jest, you know, kicking people out, but really it's the therapy room is meant to be a place of safety. And when you come into our office, we want this to be a space where you can open up and you can talk about things, you can share things, even really, really difficult things. And it's safe in the sense that I'm not going to let you like beat up on each other or harm one another, even though some things that might happen in here are hurtful and you can have a lot of hurt feelings. It's not the same thing as harming. So, but when you're blaming one another, that is really harmful. So I guess for context, I'm saying, has there ever been a situation where you've had to, you know, kick somebody out because they're doing something like that? I would say I've never kicked anybody out. I've had people leave actually because they were emotionally flooded. They were throwing a toddler-sized temper tantrum, but as a grown adult, and so that's actually kind of scary because if you're so flooded, you're not in control of your body, like you're flailing, and that's only happened once. But I have asked someone to step out of the room and calm down. Most of the time they self-select to do that. I'll just sit and try to de-escalate And if they're not able to do that, I'll say, hey, can you go take a walk around the building or go sit in the lobby and calm down for a second? Just work on some deep breathing. And or I'll stop the session and we'll all do some deep breathing and practice mindfulness to de-escalate and then start again. Okay. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense. I've I've had some of that happen before. Usually not both of them. It's usually one just walks out. I'm wondering, you mentioned to us that you have some relationship values that you kind of focus on. You've called them like the six principles of relationships. Can you tell us about those? Yeah. So I had a mentor of mine, uh, Paul Elmore, kind of share his relationship framework and I adapted it a little bit uh, to fit my counseling practice. Um, So I'm thieving from him a little bit to make what works for me, what we all do, right? Heck yeah. <laughs> I'm ripping you off right now. Who ripped Paul off? It was all ripping. Nothing new under the sun. All right. <laughs> That's right. So it's an acronym, VALUES, Relationship Values. So V stands for vulnerable. And there's two aspects of vulnerability that I really hit on in session, and that is that vulnerability isn't just like you open and disclosing about yourself. It's that you're open to receiving the other person's experience or their values, opinions, which includes their experience. And so that's V. It's a vulnerable part. And this is going to be quick and dirty. I could go on and talk about this for hours. But A is accountable, which means we own the personal work that's required. When we show up for a relationship, we are agreeing to show up a certain way. Uh, with certain attitudes and dispositions, and we need to be accountable to that. 
whether it's in vows or just verbal agreements and starting relationships. And that's based off of integrity. Learning is hell. You need to be curious about new things and experiences. And even if that's in your own self with mindfulness and self-awareness growing or growing awareness of your partner and realizing that the person you fell in love with five years ago is not the same person that is in front of you today. And the person today will not be the same person 10 years from now. That we are constantly in a state of growing and fluctuating. So we need to be in constant self-awareness and growing and curiosity about each other. Use for understanding. And this is showing up with grace and honesty in an attempt to understand not just ourselves, but each other. Ease for empathy. And this is really showing kindness and compassion for the experiences of others or yourself. Kristen Neff talks about self-compassion a lot. And I think the people who have the hardest time having compassion for others are either A, sitting on the really strong side of boundaries as opposed to compassion that you guys talked about in your previous episodes, or B, they really have a hard time with self-compassion. And maybe those two are synonymous. I don't know. But growing in the empathy and compassion for another person's experience really, from a Christian worldview, helps us sit with the Emmanuel, like God with us. Like we get to reflect that image clearly. A, as counselors, like we all get to do that. Just that non-judgmental grace, but B, as partners, like that's the first call in a relationship is to be a safe place, just like the therapy office for our significant other. And then the S is for shared meaning. And so it's the concept of when we win, I win, as opposed to if I win, we win. Like it's a, the only way we are growing together is if we are unified, that I'm honoring you, you're honoring me. Your big dreams don't come at a cost to my big dreams. There's a way we can work together for synergy, right? It's that one plus one equals three mentality from Stephen Covey. Yeah, okay. So what we're hearing then is vulnerability, accountability, learning, understanding, empathy, and shared meaning. What I'm wondering is if, do you go over this with the couples like in a session kind of all at once? Do you just have it in the background of your mind as you work? Do you kind of take people through this as a staged type of uh, progression? How do you how do you employ that? Yeah, both actually. I got on Canva, designed a cool little graphic and printed it out and framed it so it's up in my office. I also did the whiteboard, like just the, I'm a very cognitive behavioral therapist using ACT, acceptance commitment therapy. And so I'll have like some of the diagrams, just, you know, brief things that I can point to and say on the whiteboard, oh, well, you know that feelings are something you don't control, but you do control your actions, which are your thoughts and behaviors, right? So I'm constantly having things in the office I can point to and give them a framework for change in their life and taking that responsibility and ownership. But it is something that also runs in the background and I'm saying, oh, they're missing this aspect of the relationship values. Like they're, this principle is absent right now. They're not taking accountability for their actions or they're not open and vulnerable to hearing their spouse's experience. Or like, wow, that reflection, 
might have been accurate, but there is no compassion there. They're not being empathetic. Or when you talk about trauma or past experience, just thinking, wow, this miscarriage meant something completely different to each of them. They have not created a shared meaning around this. We need to redeem that. And so that's where we'll go through active listening and, you know, having each of them take a role of speaker and listener and talk through that. It sounds like it gives you a really solid framework from which to use and to always think about it sort of like this template or this blueprint that you can put things on top of and you can see, oh, like this is missing. You know, you mentioned they don't have a shared meaning or wow, there's empathy that's missing from this. So it helps you to kind of spot what might be missing and focus in on those areas. Are there any specific tips that you frequently give people, you know, so that our listeners, as they're hearing this framework, maybe they can understand and, and look at themselves in their own relationships and ask the question of where they might be missing something. But also, is there any like specific tip you frequently give people that you can give our audience? I think the biggest one is if you want to be understood, start with un- trying to understand. I'm sure you guys have seen this if you work with couples. The most hostile person in the room needs the most understanding. The person who gets the most offensive needs the most understanding. So if someone else's experience, one partner says, like, they just don't understand me. Like, anything I say, like, triggers them. Then my advice would be, why don't you try to understand where they're coming from and what they're, like, what's going on with them? Like start with the curiosity piece because there's no way they're going to share if they don't feel safe, if they don't feel like you value them. And so usually it's, it's saying, start with proactivity. Like, I think we all need to do this in our relationships, right? There's so many times I don't understand what my wife is meaning or what she's trying to say because I'm just trying to fix it or go to, go to the next thing. Or I don't give her my presence, my undistracted presence. And so if there's one thing I would say, it's start with trying to understand and be curious about the people in your life, not just significant others, but everybody. And you're going to find you well get the understanding and you'll also have a lot more influence in that relationship. Yeah, that's awesome. I I love that you also paired that with curiosity because I think that curiosity is such an important part about remaining open um, mm. and it enables that that understanding. You mentioned that you put together this, uh, you use Canva to create this thing with the six principles. Um, yeah. And you also had mentioned to me that you might be able to make that available to our listeners. Where can people find that? Yeah, there will be a link on my website, and uh, I'll send it to you guys. It'll be in the show notes of, um, yeah, just having this basic framework down. Uh, there's also a lot of information on my blog about this that I wrote a long time ago. So that'll be available for you guys. Awesome. And so speaking of websites and social media, what is the what is your website, and where can people find you on social media? Yeah, the website is VC Counseling. And uh, you can find the Facebook is or Veritas Community Counseling. Instagram is counselor.scott. And I uh, also have a podcast for the same thing, just uh, building resilient relationships. And that's Resilient Relationship Podcast. And you can find that on Facebook and we'll have links on my webpage to the podcast webpage too. 
That's awesome. And just maybe um, give our, our listeners, anybody else that might be interested in learning more about this relationship framework or listening to you and what you talk about on your Resilient Relationship podcast. I think you have a co-host as well. Is that right? Yeah, her name is Jill Smith and she's awesome. She's also a therapist down here in Eugene and you can link to her at Stillwaters Counseling or stillwaterscc.com and uh, yeah. And you guys on the podcast talk about uh, relationship stuff and you guys come at it from both a male and female perspective, which is really awesome because, you know, with relationships, you can kind of, I mean, you look at things from different perspectives, but it's helpful to hear the other side. Yeah. Similar to, you know, when you and Nathan talked about just at the beginning of your podcast, how one of you tends to be a persecutor and the other one tends to be the, I forget what the other one was. The rescuer. The rescuer. Yeah. She offers a beautiful perspective that I miss sometimes and I do the same for her. And it's just awesome to have that back and forth where we draw out different aspects of relationships, communication, boundaries, uh, health and relationship that if it was just me blabbering on by myself, like a lot would be missed. So she really adds a beautiful dynamic to that. Well, thanks again, Scott, for coming on our show and sharing with us a bit about who you are and what you what your passion is, and also just giving us that relationship framework. I want to encourage you guys to um, look at our show notes to download that PDF and check out Scott and Jill's podcast, the Resilient Relationships Podcast. Thanks again for coming on our show. My pleasure. It's a joy talking to you guys. Thanks for listening to our show. Don't forget to head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts to leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also visit our website at www.shrinkthinkpodcast.com forward slash course and sign up for our free email course, Nine Ways to Overcome Fear and Self-Doubt. And you'll get nine weeks worth of customized, practical strategies you can use to get past the fear that's holding you back in your life. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again for listening.